Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Digital EDU Dialogues podcast. I am Angela Bridger, and joining me today is Dorothy Moralia from Professor Services. Welcome, Dorothy. Thank you, Angela. Always nice to see you. It's so great to have you here. We are going to talk about tips, tools, and advice for people that want to get started in academic teaching and being adjuncts or people that want more work or new work. We've got some really practical ideas to share, and we are also going to talk about our personal experiences and tips on balancing full-time job, adjuncting, and family. Uh, But let's get started by talking about your role as the Vice President of Professor Services. And um, what's the advice that you start when you work as a mentor with people or when people, you know, email, check in, what are those first pieces of advice that you give to them when they're saying, I really want to get an academic job. I want to start as an adjunct. What are some of the things that you start by sharing with them? Very first thing I say is you need an optimized CV. You don't need a resume. A lot of clients come to me and say, well, I have have a CV. And they send it to me and it's a resume. There's a lot of companies out there that market themselves that they know how to write CVs and they simply don't. So I always say the CV showcases all your information, your skill set. It helps you stand apart from everybody else. So that's the the critical component is the CV and then the cover letter. Because you and I both know online teaching is extremely competitive. So I always encourage clients, invest in yourself and get the CV written by a professional. Um, And then it just, it's a game changer. And start with that and then don't go with those big job boards. You have thousands and thousands of competition on there. With our leads, we have the team behind us. They search for leads on on our own, you know, um, that aren't out there for everybody else to apply to. Mm And then we always recommend flood the market with applications. Those are the three key pieces that certainly worked for me. And so years ago, when I first came to you as a mentee, I remember having no understanding of what a CV actually was. Like you see them online and you see these templates and having the bad group and professor services actually do that cover or that CV for me was uh, it really adjusted my mindset about it to realize what it actually is. And I think we're so in this mindset of a resume needs to be one or two pages, needs to be short, succinct, only relevant to the job. But what you taught me was it could be pages and pages long to really showcase all of our experience and how to do that, Um, you know, how to list the classes I've taught and that I've worked on. And so for me, I think once you see the kind of CV that is you know, acceptable in higher education, it really changes your mind. You realize how much you need someone else to help you and guide you with doing that first oh, one. It totally does. I mean, I was in the same position as you. Um, I graduated with my PhD. I had experience. And for one year, I could not get hired. I was applying with the one-page resume. I went to every career center for all the schools. I earned my degrees, bachelor's, master's, PhD. They said, here's the CV. Here's the CV. Nothing was working. So one night I found this company and I said, you know what? I made the investment in my education. I have to make the investment in my career. I first purchased the CV review and they sent me the whole thing back. And I said, I can't write this. It's not my expertise. I can write a dissertation. I cannot write a CV. So the bad group wrote my CV, came back to me. That one page resume came back like six pages. And I was shocked with the amount of information on there. 
I started applying and within, I think two, three months, I had one job, three months after that, another. And that first year I was hired by three online schools. So I did not realize what, how critical that document was. And a lot of people coming into this don't know that as well. And I get it because I was there and I also didn't want to spend the money because you just spent all this money on tuition. You're like, well, I got the degree. Why can't I just get hired? But if you really want to get into this market and have this flexibility to work from home, you have to invest. And, and your first job pays for the CV itself. It's not Absolutely. the amount of money. So it, it, the payoff is really great overall in the future if you stabilize yourself as you know what we refer to as like a full-time adjunct mm-hmm. to teach for multiple schools and be at home. Yeah. And I, that was, I remember you telling me that and thinking, right, this is, this is what I know I want to do. And so I had literally just finished my last course when I first talked to you. And I remember you sharing that information about this return on investment and uh, you guys did my CV. And I think it was two weeks later, like I had sent it out to a couple places. And two weeks later, I had an email asking me to interview with a local college. And I was like, wow, all right, this paid off really hard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not all results are, you know, this is not necessarily right. a result, uh, but, um, but I also applied somewhere local. So they had recognized my job and my work experience as well. Uh, it was really valid to what they, the courses they wanted me to teach. So all of that. Um, but I just think that it's so important. And another thing that you mentioned is that cover letter. And you said, you know, you can write a dissertation, but writing something like this is very different. And I know me or when I help friends with them or family members, there's, it's really hard to write about ourselves. Oh, absolutely. Really hard to say, I am really good at this skill set. Hire me. There's something so great about an outside perspective. And someone can say, I see all of this experience and how it applies to this job. And I can help craft it so that you can be a top applicant for this job. Right. Right. I, I mean, they our, our team just looks at your documents, at your CV and says, this is what they're good at and knows how to market you basically to schools. I mean, we've worked with hiring directors, deans. We have the experience, so we know what makes candidates stand out. We know what they're looking for. So you're not going to get a cookie cutter CV or a cookie cutter cover letter. I mean, the cover letter is often that first impression. Like, how are you going to grab that hiring director within the first sentence or two? Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't want to write, guess, you know, hi, my name's Dorothy. I'm so excited to teach. I mean, you have yeah. to, you have to, you know, be a little more professional and and say, this is what sets me apart from other people which Mm -hmm. can be a hard thing to do yourself. So that's why having an outside perspective can make a world of difference. Yeah, it it was so helpful to me and uh, I I continue to be grateful for it and recommend it to so many people. Again, even if a family member was like, oh, I can't write this. I'm like, give it to me. (laughs) You just need an outside perspective sometimes to um, to really showcase your skills well. You also mentioned the big job boards and I was... I've had two conversations about this in the last week. One about LinkedIn. Someone was applying for a job on LinkedIn and there was already like 35,000 applicants. And I was talking to um, Dr. George King, who is a regular client of the Bab Group and Professor Services. He's a really successful adjunct. He's made a career out of it. He's been a guest on our podcast. And he was talking about at one of the schools where he teaches, you know, there might be you know two spots open and they're getting hundreds and hundreds of applicants. So if you could talk a little bit more about, you know, 
why it's so important to like, go directly to the school and alternatives to the big job boards? Sure. Um, so everybody goes to these big job boards because they're easy. Higher ed, indeed. But you're in this pool, this this with thousands of people. An HR rep cannot go through all of this. The robo screening is not going to always pick up certain applications. You go to the school directly. Find, start even with, out with the small schools. Go to their job boards. See what's available. Um, and start applying that way. And I always recommend apply all year long because you never know the school's hiring cycle. Um, and one thing I want to bring up, it's been coming up a lot in our Facebook group, Making a Living Teaching Online. There's been a lot of conversations saying, I can't get a job. And people are commenting, that's because it's who you know. I don't necessarily agree with that because I've been hired by major universities like Southern New Hampshire University. I didn't know a soul that worked there. I got in there on my own after having my CV and my cover letter written. So I understand a lot of people, you, you begin to network, of course, and you get recommended for jobs or you know somebody that's hiring. But if you're starting out, it's definitely 100% you know, doable to get a job on your own. But it's about using the right tools and the right documents. So like with our leads, we go to those job boards on the school website and then we send them to you. So we're not going to those competitive job boards mm -hmm. like everybody else's who has the time to do it. So mm -hmm. ours are a little more detailed, time-oriented to find those jobs. I mean, I got a job a few years ago, um, our job leads, for a very small school. And I've been there for four or five years already. And I have consistent work. And again, didn't know anybody there. It was a job lead that ended up in my inbox, sent the email. And about two months later, the dean sent me a direct email and then I was hired mm -hmm. and I've been there ever since. So it does work. You just, it does work. Persistence and determination. And if you get those rejection emails, believe me, I got plenty of them. Don't let them discourage you. Just be like, that's one step closer to a job. It does work out, but you, you have to have the mindset and the tools. Yeah. And something that you, always repeat is that idea of flooding the market and to keep applying just because you got rejected maybe one semester to apply again or apply to a different department even that idea that we we always need to be out there uh, as well as you know I think with enrollment like one semester you've got a ton of work and the next semester you may not mm -hmm. just depending on what's going on or you know I know for me like summer is different than the rest of the year and so always thinking a few semesters down the road as far as applying and to just keeping yeah. things out there. I was going to say something about, uh, you know, who, you know, I see that all the time too, as though it's a bad thing. And yes, like you, I have gotten a job based on the really great CV that the Bab group did for me, but I also got an in based on networking. And I think so many times we think that this idea, like, well, you have to know someone is a bad thing. And I like to encourage people that networking is just everyday life conversations. I got an introduction after an elementary school party, right? I'm at school helping out. And it turns out that the department chair, the outgoing department chair at a local university, she and I are, you know, helping kids make messy food at a party and we're chatting about what we do. And she's like, oh my gosh, we need you. Next thing I know, I've got an intro email. And it was a couple, it was a couple years later till I actually landed the position that it worked out for my schedule and, the, and that right. class was available. Uh, so it, it was a couple years, but still that introduction came 
but just a casual conversation right. over what we do while hanging out with kids, <laughs> you know? So I think always being open to how those opportunities may come around and that it, you might be surprised by who you know that knows someone that could say, hey, this person would be really great uh, to join right. our department or and to I, work with us. And I want to circle back because I was mentioning how people are in the group saying, I'm getting rejected, this and that. And people saying, well, it's because you don't know somebody, this or that. It's also important how you're presenting yourself in these forums. Because if you're going to complain that you don't have a job and you're not getting this and this and that, there are hiring directors in there. So take that as an opportunity to market yourself. This is why I'd be good for this job. Same thing with LinkedIn. Market yourself on there. Show your skill set. Um, nobody wants to hire somebody that's going to complain and whine that they can't get hired. Mm -hmm. You have to have that confidence and that presence to show schools, this is why I would be a good fit for you. So then that's part mm -hmm. of networking is you're building those relationships online mm -hmm. and showing people, this is what I'm capable of. And like you mentioned before, like just keep applying. There was my mm -hmm. dream school that I wanted to get into. I kept applying. I was rejected 12 times. Lucky number 13. They hired me. I've been there ever since teaching freshmen who are coming in. And then a year or two ago, they asked me to be a faculty trainer. So you need the perseverance and you just keep going and mm -hmm. make those connections and just keep plugging away at it because it does, it certainly can pay off. Great advice, Arthi. I think especially that reminder about our social media presence that hiring managers are going to look us up on mm -hmm. social. It's one of the first things they do. It's one of the first places they find us is on LinkedIn. And why it's so important to optimize your profile with keywords. But just like I work with a lot of freshmen, I work with a lot of students that are graduating from their four-year degrees. And that's one of the things that we work on. We do an inventory of their social media. Like, is it job ready? You know, does this say I'm an employable person or does this say I'm something else, right? I'm a complainer or I'm having a blast at college. <laughs> Um, you know, what does it show? And so we'll work on cleaning up those profiles. And I think no matter our age, no matter the level of our experience, that it is our greatest marketing tool. Absolutely. And the easiest and cheapest way to showcase ourselves and our skills and, and how we interact with people. Right. So, that's Free advertising. But you just have to know how to use it. And, and like you said, those key words and just show, show people, this is what I'm capable of. All right, some great advice. We are going to take a 30 second break. And when we come back, Dorothy and I are going to talk about how we balance full time job, adjuncting at several schools, managing our families without losing our minds, even though maybe sometimes we do. So we will be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Professor Services. Looking for a job in teaching? Need to expand your network? Want to boost your income? Whatever it is, the expert team at Professor Services has you covered. From helping higher ed faculty find new jobs, to essential tools such as cover letters and CVs, to applying to jobs for you, Professor Services equips you to nail your job search. Don't stress over the job hunt. Maximize your potential and crush your next opportunity with support from our team of experienced administrators, mentors, and educators. Discover how the team at Professor Services can help. Visit ProfessorServices.com today to get started and kickstart your career in higher education. All right, we are back. And Dorothy and I are going to talk about 
balance or not balancing all of life's challenges. And I wrote in my notes, you know, we're both working parents. We have full-time jobs. We have families. So we have kids as well as we both have widowed parents that are very much part of our lives. That's true. In my notes, I wrote, are we crazy? (laughs) A little bit, a little bit. (laughs) Some days more than others. So talk about, um, you and I talked about this a little bit recently. How has this changed for you as your family is growing? How has it changed? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Yeah, how it's changed, you know, how do you balance things, you know, from when you first started teaching and working to, you know, now having three children? Well, when I first started teaching, I had nothing but time. Um, And then, you know, after my oldest son was born, he'd be next to me, you know, in the rock and play and I'd be grading and, you know, or grading in the kitchen, he'd be asleep in the high chair. And that's how you balanced it. And now with three kids, they're two, four, and six, it's a different ball game. It's up super early before anybody gets up in the house, uh, make the coffee first thing, check the emails. Um, and then I have that daily to-do list. I write down every school for the day, what needs to be done, grading, discussion responses. Um, but I need that daily list. I, I, I need that, you know, what, what do I have to accomplish today? And I'm still mm-hmm. that, I like to write things down, cross it off, but it's that, it's the planner, it's knowing everybody's schedule and setting this, you know, setting aside those certain time slots. When can I get this done? Cause I have to pick this child up from school. This one has Cub Scouts. This one has a doctor's appointment. So it's all about how you manage your time. And I started to do something different this year. I would set a certain time every day to log into a class. So just to say, this is what I want to get done in an hour. Instead of feeling like I have to get everything done for one class, just to try to piece it together. And it's, it's reduced my stress level. I'm not pushing myself as hard. And I think I'm actually being more productive because I'm not running myself down saying everything has to get done as I'm in this classroom. So I'll grade like five huge papers in one class. If, you know, done, do a little, something lighter and then go back. So you have to find your own balance and routine that works for you. Mm-hmm. Those are great suggestions. I've been doing a lot of that too. They're kind of chunking it. Like instead yeah. of I have to grade 100 students assignments in this block of time on Monday, it's Crazy. How can I, yeah. How can I get this much done before this time and then work on this other thing that is easy, simpler, easier, creative, something like that. Or when do I need to take some breaks in my day? And it, it has brought an ease and I think makes me a better professor because I'm right. I think about, you know, those first five students are getting a different kind of feedback than those last five. Yes. So, um, and that's another thing I've been doing, like, instead of just going through my grade book, you know, in alphabetical order. So the same students are always getting graded first. I've started starting at the bottom sometimes and going up just because I've become really aware of how my grading changes, how my feedback changes when I'm tired. Because toward the end, you're exhausted and the feedback is not as specific. It's not mm-hmm. what that student deserves. Yeah. So that's when you have to say, I need to step back, take a break, regroup, mm-hmm. and it makes you just a better instructor overall. Yeah. And I think to uh, the idea of pacing myself, so thinking, what can I get done on Sunday? Like Sunday is a day when uh, a lot of times, you know, in the evening, like my daughter's doing schoolwork. And so it's a time that I feel like I, it's okay to give up some of that family time because everyone's doing their own thing. So if I can get a chunk of work done on Sunday nights, I feel so much less stressed on Monday mornings. And making that shift has, again, made me a better professor, but I think made me a better family member because 
I'm just kind of enjoying and I can do it well, even while I'm in the same space with my family. So, right. No, I agree with that. I actually did that this past Sunday. I'm back in the groove after vacation Mm -hmm. and everybody was doing their own thing. And I went in my office for one hour and I knew what I had to do on Monday. I made that list and I graded one class and I felt ready for Monday and not so overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And then my day ended up being lighter on Monday, which was nice. And it just helped me get back into routines. Mm -hmm. But yeah, picking it up. It's okay to work for an hour on a weekend. It's okay. Like you have to do what's best for you. And it right. does make you a better family person. You don't want mm-hmm. to be around your, your kids or your husband ever. Yeah. You want to enjoy right. that time and not let work consume you because you mm-hmm. need it. The other thing to think about, and you know this, when you work at home, sometimes it can be hard to separate. Yeah. So you need to find that balance, have a designated space where you work, especially if you have a busy household like me mm-hmm. with other people living here um, and have that, space where you go and do what you need to do and shut everybody else out. Yes, I agree. And I think too, when we make those choices about, all right, I'm going to work more now. And I know later in the week, you know, Thursday, like, oh, I can get to that after school activity on time right? and feel free to participate and cheer and not be like, oh, I need to check in on something in the middle of the game or a musical performance or whatever activity it is that you feel like you can have uh, some free, some mental freedom to just enjoy. Absolutely. And then as crazy as it gets, I think the most courses I've ever taught was maybe seven or eight at a time. You have to remind yourself, I get to do this from home. I don't have to leave for work in the morning. Um, there's been times where my, one of my children would cry when they're so little. I said, like, I got to go to work now. And they wouldn't, they would cry. And I said, but you don't understand. I'm just walking upstairs to my office. A lot of mommies have to drive to work and stay in an office and I wouldn't see you all day. So it's time consuming being an instructor, of course, especially when you're doing all those courses, but I would not change a thing because I can be here. I can be present. I can get my son off the bus every day. I can go to those Cub Scout meetings everything um volunteer at school during the the week Mm -hmm. if they need somebody because this allows us that flexibility we just have to Mm -hmm. be smart with our time and how to take on that role yes i agree and you said something about like master calendar and checklist and i want to say how effective those tools are for me because when you teach at multiple schools you've got different calendars right you're like right now i'm in week two in one program and week three in two others and so I have these moments that, you know, get an email. I'm like, wait, which student, which class, which school? And which week are we in? And I'm like, I don't, you know, the last question about, you know, the week two assignment. I'm like, wait, which week two? And so keeping that master calendar, I, and I use a big old fashioned desk calendar that I write down, you know, this school, you know, write down their initials week one. And with one school, everything, I've got assignments due multiple days of the week. So like I write down like day one, two, three, four, even though it's the same every week, Monday is day one. By writing that on my calendar, it helps keep me of course, quick glance oriented as to, all right, this school, this right here, right now. And I think that it really helps keep me oriented. And I want to acknowledge something else you said, just about that flexibility and I think being present to our families as well as. I think the importance of our children seeing us at work, right? They get to see and learn how we talk when we are speaking professionally. They get to see and hear us interact with grownups. And in my case, I also teach in person. And there's every semester, there's a reason that my daughter has come to class with me, whether it's, it's a topic she really likes or it's a day off school and I'm teaching, you know, a morning class. And 
how valuable it's been for her as a teenager, middle schooler to come into a college classroom and see how that works. Okay, oh, this, it makes college a lot less scary. And I am the kind of professor that students are always working in groups or pairs, always doing stuff in class. So she'll participate. And students always just scoop her up because, you know, by the time she rolls around into class, they've heard all about her. So they scoop her up and include her and she gets to have a little taste of that experience. So I think it helps set expectations for her uh, and helps make college seem less scary. And she also, again, she gets to see me at work. She gets to see that persona. She gets to see like, oh, this is what it is. This is what mom looks like when she's a professional grown up. <laughs> Not when she's, you know, bumming around her flip-flops at home. Because sometimes it looks like I just sit around in flip-flops and with my laptop on my lap. Um, and it's like, oh, mom puts on grown-up clothes and looks like a grown-up and talks like a grown-up. And that's what this looks like. So I love it. She gets to see that. And honestly, I want to give all credit to a, a former sports broadcaster I worked with a long time ago. And he has since passed away. And one day I was working in news and I was like, yep, I can come fill in, but I have to bring my daughter. And he said to me, it's so great that she's here because he would always bring his son to work. And he'd say, it's so good for our kids to be surrounded by these really successful adults and to see successful adults working at work and doing what we do. And it's good to see me that way. And so I'm always so grateful for his advice. His son has gone on to be very successful in the sports world as well. And uh, and I, I hope the same for my daughter. So uh, he definitely inspired me to bring my daughter to work every day. Every day. <laughs> All right. Um, you and I joked a little bit about how there's no time for a spa day. So I want to just end today by talking about how we build in those little pockets of time to rest our brains. Because when we're working this much full-time job, you know, teaching full-time and families that it's really hard to turn off, especially at night. Yes. I used to be that professor where I'd be sitting watching TV at night. The phone would go off. Oh, I got to answer this email. And I said, I know I'm there for the students, but sometimes those emails aren't urgent. So I'm learn. I finally figured it out. You need the downtime. It, it's okay to, to put your phone on silent every night Sit down, watch a show, watch a movie. You need to unwind. You need that mental break. You need to be able to hear your thoughts. Um, because as a, as a working mom and you're at the computer all day, you're balancing everything, the kids, the homework, the grading, balancing clients, everything. You need to take time for yourself. Even if it's running out to get a Starbucks, get a coffee in the middle of the day. Take that breather, step outside, sit out, sit in your backyard, go for a walk. You have to find what works for you. Hobbies, anything just to, to decompress. Because when you can do that, you come back refreshed. And I think you're a better instructor and a better, and you feel better overall as a human being. Mm -hmm. So again, finding that balance and it's okay to put yourself first. The students will survive if you don't answer an email within 30 minutes, they will survive. They might be a little stressed, but they will survive. Yes, this is why I encourage them to reach out early in the week. And I make it very clear from week one, like if you reach out on Saturday and Sunday, I'm not as responsive. Um, I will respond within 24 hours. But if your assignments due on Saturday night and you reach out at five on Saturday with your first question of the week, it's you're going to I might not be as available as you need me to be. 
Um, and that's such great advice, that reminder to just take a break, I think, to step away from the technology. You know, mute those notifications. For me, not checking the student email first thing in the morning, make sure I get that full cup of coffee in before I check those emails <laughs> will make me a much better responder. And I think to remind myself, not only do I have students in different time zones, but that just generally I'm uh, for, especially when I have you know more traditional age students, like 18 to 22, 24, we're functioning at different times of the day, right? I am up and ready at five and they're doing the bulk of their stuff late at night. So their questions are coming into me, you know, between like 10 PM and 2 AM is pretty normal for when they're sending emails. And so I'm responding to them, you know, between six and 8 AM and but that's okay. They're, they're getting a response. Exactly. You're meeting um, that time frame. Yeah. Holding up your end of the bargain. Yeah. And that it gives me a chance to be, to take that break, take that brain break and be a, a better professor. Yes. So. Absolutely. Dorothy, thank you so much for this robust conversation about all things adjunct life. <laughs> I always love chatting with you, Angela. I am always so grateful for your advice and our chats and everything that I learned from them that I can then, you know, we talk about putting things in our classrooms that students can learn today and apply tomorrow. <laughs> and I feel that way every time we chat. Oh, I'm applying this today. <laughs> so, so thank you so much for joining us. And we will talk with you again sometime soon. Sounds good. Thank you, Angela. I appreciate it. The Digital EDU Dialogues podcast is brought to you by the Aducity family of companies.